Now it's time for the Disney View podcast. Please move across your car to make room for everyone. Our podcast will begin momentarily. Join Dave as he makes his grand circle tour around the Walt Disney World Resort. Dave is a dreamer and an engineer who enjoys the magic and wonder of it all, but understands Disney's place in history and respects the legacy that's been left. Come along and hear Dave's thoughts about Walt Disney World and see it through Dave's eyes. Please stand clear of the podcaster. Por favor, manténganse alejado del David. And now, here's your host. Hey everyone, it's Dave. Welcome to another edition of Dave's Disney View Podcast. On today's podcast, I wanted to delve into history a little bit and uh, talk about something interesting at the Walt Disney World Resort that doesn't get enough play and doesn't get enough attention. And that's something that was going on in the mid-1960s, early 1960s, when Walt Disney had acquired the property and had this plan for this experimental prototype city. So the deal was that he, he really wanted to put something in there that was different, that was unique, that brought together his bright minds and the Imagineers, money from various companies and industries out there, and brought in these companies to uh, try to solve real-world problems. You know, there was, a, there was a big push to try and solve all these real-world problems, but in sort of a think tank, in an environment where you could actually uh, do some planning and some thinking about it. So that's what Epcot was really all about, in Walt's mind anyway, and that's what he laid out on paper. Now, what it became later was, you know, theme park and not really that, but the concept was good. And so when he was thinking about having this, this prototype city, he wanted to build something that was, you might say utopia, though it really wasn't. It was sort of a, a hybrid city that really encouraged people to think and do some things and brought in the brightest minds to work on things. But the challenge he had was, where do people stay? Where do they go? What do they do? And so he was, he was thinking about that. One of the things he did was he said, okay, I'm going to take this little strip of land that I have that's uh, down by uh, State, uh, County Road 535. Uh, that's on the, uh, on the side over by where uh, Disney Springs is and currently. And I'm going to uh, put up some hotels where people can stay. And that way it'll foment the idea of building construction, getting things started, and starting to build on the philosophy of getting people to come into the area, right? So that way, if you have some places for people to stay, then you can start building on the idea. Because if there's nowhere to stay, when he came down in 1965 to do his, um, his talk with the uh, governor of Florida, they had to stay over by Lake Eola, which is quite a distance away. It's not that far, but it's far enough where it's not close, right? It's not really at the property he's, he's got. So he and his executives, uh, everybody that came down to work on the construction project stayed over there. But he had this idea to build other hotels and put people in them, and uh, that way he could kind of build on the philosophy. So he could get, get the, uh, the idea going. And it also worked for people who were coming in to work on the resort and so forth. So they had a place to stay that was close to the property that they were building. So he worked with these hotel chains. He had four hotels that he um, contracted with. I guess maybe it was actually Roy who did the contract with them anyway. But contracted with to build these hotels that are along what's today Hotel Plaza Boulevard. So there were four hotels originally there. The hotels themselves still exist among the hotels that are there. And uh, they've changed brands and whatever, but they're still the, essentially the same hotels. And uh, the idea was to create this motor plaza inn where people could come in, they could stay, they could work on the property, they could do some things, whatever. And uh, it would start to build on the philosophy. Look, the Disney company had never been in the hotel business before. 
they'd done uh, animation, they'd done theme parks, they've done a lot of you know clever innovation type things, but they never worked in hotels before. How do you run a hotel? So Disney's idea was let's just put those out there and get the uh, get the hotels running and that way we have places for people to stay they come here they work for a while um, as we build the prototype city and then maybe you have places where people actually live and houses and so forth but you know people who are only here for a short stint may not live in those houses they may actually live in uh, the hotels and so that way you have some uh, some ability to turn people over and move around so he created that idea of having the motor plaza in and having these hotels there so clever, right? Kind of a smart thought on his part to, to have a place where people could stay. But as they decided to grow the whole idea of Epcot, this prototype city, one thing that Walt and Roy both realized very early on was that they needed to have some capital, some working, uh, working capital to be able to build on the philosophy. You can't just build a city overnight. You can, you can master plan it, you can come up with all these ideas, but it costs money to actually build a city. And the companies that are going to come there will give you some money, but not enough to necessarily build this whole community that you wanted. To build up all the houses and build up all the, uh, the tracts of land and make sure that they had research parks and all these things, is, there, there could be some money coming in, but you needed to generate revenue from another source. Enter the idea of the Magic Kingdom. So in building the idea of the Magic Kingdom, he was going to replicate Disneyland to a point where it was similar to Disneyland, put it on the northern end of the property, and have his prototype city being on the southern end. So as it was being built, you would have to pass through it, might foment an idea, and you might go, oh, that's pretty cool. I like this. I'd be interested in being partnering in this, being a part of this in some way. And if you work for a company, maybe you get your company to come there and invest in it in some way. So it was kind of smart. And in the meantime, the actual Magic Kingdom and the, all the things that would go along up there, your admission fees, your parking fees, you know, uh, food, services, and so forth, the, any revenue that would come from that would be funneled back into the Epcot idea. So you, you're using the theme park as sort of a means to get Epcot growing. And that's great. Really good idea, very clever. You know, I think he had, a, he had something uh, interesting going on there. He had some really clever ideas in terms of building that as a means to an end, right? It, the, it wasn't originally thought to be this magic kingdom. That, that wasn't the, in the original, original plans, but it became very quickly part of the plans because it was a way to make money and entertain people and build the idea of um, the whole idea of Epcot. Remember that Walt's always about a weenie, something to get people in. You know, you get people to come in through the door and see something. So the way to do that is to draw them in by saying, hey, we have this great park that's very similar to Disneyland. And to get there, you have to park here at the southern end of the property. And you're gonna take the monorail, this cool sleek device, up to our Magic Kingdom where you're gonna actually uh, have some fun and, and be entertained. And that revenue will then circle around and will pay for everything, right? So it becomes this, this circle of he's got you know money coming in and he's able to build on the community. Great idea. You know, it didn't quite work out the way he wanted it to. And I think part of the reason is Roy was a realist and saw it as, you know, it was a business transaction. There was, you know, there was money to be made. There was things that had to happen. There was expenses to be paid and all these other things. And building the Magic Kingdom was kind of an expensive proposition. They had to dredge out the Seven Seas Lagoon and they had to uh, build the property up and they had to stabilize it against um, the, uh, the erosion that happens because you're in a wetland. And all of these things had to happen and it was expensive. Um, even by today's standards, I would argue it was expensive, probably less so at the time, but it was, a, it was an expensive proposition. So they had to recoup that money first. 
And Roy being a realist said, you know, there's no way we can actually make a profit and actually turn around and start building the other stuff that we wanted to do. And then, you know, Roy got older and then uh, Roy uh, stepped down from the company before they got much further. So then they started the idea of Epcot and the idea of Epcot kind of grew, but it evolved, right? It wasn't about this experimental prototype city anymore. It wasn't about the research per se, though it was, and I'll come back to that on a future podcast when I talk about how they built this whole idea of a city. Uh, and the, the forward thinking ideas and using some of this research thing. Uh, so they actually did some of that, just didn't go as far as they wanted it to. And then over time, that idea got lost. Anyway, back to the original story. So they were building this idea of the Magic Kingdom. And one of the things they wanted to do was have a couple of hotels, because if you want people to come and stay there, staying at the proper, the hotels that he was using down by Hotel Plaza Boulevard there, those hotels they're kind of far away and they're not on the beaten path as far as the monorail goes. So those were intended to be hotels that were supporting the infrastructure area and building up something. Now, at some point in time, there was a plan to put a monorail spur line that went down that way and it would have solved the problem. But in the short term, they wanted to build a couple of hotels that would be right close to the Magic Kingdom. So you could stay there and you could you could uh, do some fun things. So you had the, the idea for this contemporary hotel and this Polynesian hotel that they would build. And uh, yeah, and then there was the, uh, the golf resort, which was a little further out, um, but nearby as well. And these were great, you know, great idea. But like I said, Disney had never been in the hotel business before. And I think Roy reached a point where he's like, I can't figure out how I'm going to do this. Yeah, we can run a theme park. We can run the animation. We can do the research. We're good there. But running a hotel, that's a different story. So they were trying to figure out what they wanted to do. They talked to a couple of different hotel chains about coming in and running the hotels. But Roy realized that they would be hotels that were run by some other company. He wanted them to be, have that Disney touch, the theming, the, the, the nature of the way they treated their guests, everything to kind of have that Disney sort of feel to it. Roy felt very strongly, as Walt did, about how the Disney cast members are people performing on stage and you're doing something for these guests and you're making a delightful experience. And the way to really delight people is to give them that one-on-one -on -one thing. If you bring in a hotel chain, you have less control over the quality. You have some, but you have less control over it. So the idea was they wanted to build their own hotels and make them their own. But Disney had never done that before. So how do you build a hotel chain and start running hotels without having, ever having done them before? And this is where the story takes an unusual turn. There was a man who was a, uh, he was a real estate speculator. He was a, a lawyer. He was a, um, somebody who was influential in the Orlando area, in the Central Florida area, by the name of Hamilton Finley. And um, he had uh, come up with an idea. He saw Disney building this property. And he's like, you know what? I could do, I could invest in some land that's right off of I-4. And I could uh, build a hotel there. And that hotel then would service the area and would be closer to where they are because it's ha maybe halfway between where Lake Eola is in downtown Orlando and where the Disney property is. So he bought some land. Um, it was some number of acres of land that he bought right there by Sand Lake Road. Uh, if you're familiar with the Orlando area, you'll know where that is. So he bought um, some property there and he built something called the uh, Hilton Inn South. So he got the Hilton brand to, uh, to invest, to be a part of it. And uh, he created the Hilton Inn South and he built a hotel there. Now, it was wildly speculative for him to do this. Uh, there was no guarantee that he was going to make money on this. And his friends had called it Finley's Folly because they realized that there was a good chance that it wasn't going to work out. 
and uh, he was investing, throwing his money away, investing his money into nothing. But he really was smarter than most people gave him credit for. He had this very clever idea to build this tract of, to build this tract of land up into a hotel, to advertise it because it's relatively close to Disney property and get people to stay there who were coming down and you know, doing work and whatever. And uh, you know maybe be able to use it to at least while they were doing some of the building, some of the construction, some of the Disney executives could stay there and so forth because it was relatively close rather than staying over, over by Lake Eola. So he, um, he actually set about uh, um, clearing the land and he had a little strip of road that went from Sand Lake Road down to his property. And he wanted to call that Hamilton Drive, but there was already a Hamilton Drive that was in Orlando. So the city rejected the name. And instead, he decided to make it, give it an international flavor. So he called it International Drive. So the, uh, the first strip of International Drive was this little, about a half a mile uh, tract of land that he called International Drive. Now, since then, it's been built up considerably. If you look at International Drive, it's, it's a much broader thing that, uh, that's grown into something, uh, something greater. So he had this uh, hotel he had, he had International Drive, and uh, he decided to bring in some, uh, some bright people to run his hotel. So he had some good people working for him and whatever. And then the Disney company saw this and said, you know what, we could learn a lot about running hotels by essentially running his hotel. So Roy Disney uh, met with um, Mr. Finley there, Hamilton Finley, and he talked to him about the idea of actually letting Disney cast members run the hotel. And um, apparently it was a really wildly great idea that both of them loved. Now, as far as I can tell, and I've, you know, I've looked around and I've, I actually have checked um, in with uh, the Disney archives, though I don't, you know, I don't have any direct connections there. I've, you know, poked around a little bit with people that, that know and checked on the internet and different things. And apparently Dave Smith could never find uh, any signed contract about this particular uh, agreement that they had. This was sort of a handshake agreement between uh, Roy and, uh, and Hamilton Finley. So they had this, um, this thing and they were like, wow, we, you know, we've got this idea, we can bring this in. And uh, one of the first things Disney did was they hired a man named Rosen, um, whose first name escapes me at the moment, who was the, uh, the manager at the Waldorf Astoria in New York. And they brought him in to be the general manager of the hotel and teach the staff how to, do, how to run the hotel. Then Disney set about hiring all the cast members. Some came from other hotels. Some were just in the hospitality industry. Some had never worked in a hotel before to come in and be cast members, be the first cast members to uh, work for the Walt Disney Company and learn how to run a hotel. Some became managers, some became, you know, like uh, housekeepers, some ran the front desk and so on. It was all these different uh, roles that people played and they kept hiring people to come in and, and play those roles. So over time, they developed up a staff that was a really interesting group of people who, uh, who really understood how to run a hotel at, over time. Uh, they brought in some other executives from other hotel chains to come in and work as part of the management team as well, but everyone learned how to run the hotel. And then ultimately, all of those people were put into the hotels that were the uh, Polynesian, the Contemporary, and the Golf Resort. And they ran those hotels in the early days. And some of them, I believe, are still employed by the Disney company and still working there. Um, some have since retired and so forth, but the next generation learned from them. So, you know, you start to see how this kind of developed over time. And it was a really interesting idea. Now, the story also goes that Roy Disney and the senior executives of the Disney company went and stayed at this hotel 
anytime they were in town during construction and shortly after the park opened. And they were meticulous. They would give notes and feedback about anything and everything they saw because they wanted to make a better guest experience. So if they saw anything, they would give feedback about it. And uh, some people said it was a little nitpicky and some people said, I learned a lot. I guess it depends on your perspective. But they would really get into it and start to, you know, challenge them to be better hosts, to be better cast members, to, uh, to treat their guests with the, with the affection that they wanted to have at the, uh, at the Disney theme park and the, and the hotels that surrounded it. So they actually got that running and it was pretty cool and they, were, uh, they got it going. And an interesting little side note there that this hotel became the, 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 the starting point for all the hotels on Disney property. Now, since then, of course, there's been many hotels that have grown in. Uh, they've, they've launched more hotels and you know they've gone through a training program now. They have a whole training program for the hotel staff and how they do things. And Disney has brought in other hotel chains to be on the Disney property as well to kind of grow on the general idea. You know, they realize now that it makes more sense to have some hotels be hotel chains and some be Disney properties. It's a mix of things. So especially the Swan and the Dolphin are particularly run by a company, not run by Disney. But so they run similarly. But again, you don't have that same level of attention to detail. It's just different. It's still very, they're very well run, but just run a little bit differently. So that was the nature of the story. And it's just one of those intriguing things that happen. Now, by the way, the, the man who was the manager of the hotel, Mr. Rosen, uh, the general manager, he actually bought a tract of land. Uh, I believe he bought it from Mr. Finley. Uh, and it's the next tract of land over from where the Hilton uh, South was. And he built the Rosen Hotel. And the Rosen Hotel had a whole strategy for how they wanted to treat their guests. They wanted to charge a fair price. They wanted to make a clean room. And they wanted to ma make sure people were relatively happy uh, based on those factors. So it was sort of no frills, but it worked out well. And they made, they made a profit on doing that. And the Rosen Hotel still exists today. If you drive by I-4 and Sand Lake Road, you can see the Rosen Hotel up there. Um, next to it, I believe the, re the resort that used to be the Hilton uh, in South is now called the Coco K Resort, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, so you, you can see where that is as you're driving by. And if, if you get off at Sand Lake Road, you see the big McDonald's on the corner. If you make a turn by the McDonald's and you go down a, a block or two, you'll be there. Uh, that's where the hotel was. I just find that kind of interesting that... Disney did something that was so unexpected in the sense of creating this hotel brand that no one saw coming. Now, for his part, um, Mr. Hamilton, I, you know, and I, I may have said his name backwards a couple of times, and I apologize to anyone who's listening to this who might have known him or be related to the family. I apologize that, you know, the name is Finley Hamilton, and I think I've said it backwards. Anyway, my apologies to anyone who, who might be offended by that. Uh, but his name is, uh, you know, his name is synonymous with the idea of creating something that was really unique. And before he died, he was talking about this um, relationship he had with Disney. And he said he lost a lot of money on the deal. And I can imagine that's probably true in, in a sense, because, you know, he was, he had a handshake agreement and he was just, you know, renting rooms out and Disney was learning. But I have to imagine that you know, sort of the growth that he had and the fact that he had people staying there and he, you know, he had things going on probably would mean that he didn't so much lose money as much as he didn't make money, right? I imagine he probably broke even on the deal, but he started something unique. And he's, you know, he's got that footnote in history to being connected to the Disney World property in some way. And it's just kind of interesting how things develop, you know, and you never, it's unexpected directions sometimes. You know, when, uh, 
Roy would come and stay at uh, in in Lake Eola. There, there was one hotel he liked to stay at, and like Joe Potter stayed stayed there, and um, uh, Admiral Fowler stayed there, and they they all stayed in that hotel, and it was close enough to Disney property. You know, it was a thirty minute drive or so, but it was close enough where they felt like they were connected to it. And it's interesting because that was the place where they always stayed, and it's near where the um, the uh, uh, where the Cherry Plaza Hotel was, right there on Lake Eola. It was just around the corner another part of the lake. But, you know, that hotel still exists today too. And it's just these connections to Disney property and where people stayed and what they did just always fascinates me. And how they developed up this relationship with the community and how Disney built up their property and how they had these grand plans for things. And sometimes they came together, like the hotel and teaching people how to run a hotel. And sometimes they didn't, like the entirety of the Epcot and how it, how it worked out. So it's unfortunate that the Epcot itself didn't work out, but the nature of it really developed into something kind of cool. And uh, it's kind of interesting how they all, everybody had a, a role in this and everything kind of came together kind of interestingly. And I just wanted to share that story. Now you can see parts to this story too on my uh, video cast series. I go to the Coco Cay Hotel and I'm standing out there and I tell the whole story uh, from a slightly different perspective. You can kind of see where it was. I show pictures of the whole thing and everything. So it's you know, maybe worth a few minutes of your time to just go check that out as well. But I wanted to tell the story on a podcast. If you happen to be driving, don't be watching a video. But I figured I'd tell you the story because it's an interesting story in a, as a trip back into history of the Walt Disney Company. And something that they did that, you know, you look at it and you go, how did that make any sense for anybody? But yet it did and it worked out so well. So there you go. That is my podcast for this week. I hope you've enjoyed it. And remember, if we can dream it, we can certainly do it. Bye now. Thank you for tuning in to the Disney View Podcast. We hope you had a pleasant stay and arrive home safely. Please remain seated until your ride vehicle stops completely. Then, gather your personal belongings and step out onto the moving platform. And yes, I know it went by so quickly, but don't worry. One of the nice things about traveling on this podcast is that the journey is just beginning. Show notes are available on DisneyWorldPodcast.net. While there... Please check out some of our affiliates. You'll also find links to Dave's iPhone and iPad apps. There's an app for pin trading, one for finding hidden Mickeys, and an app for finding and tracking pressed pennies around the Walt Disney World Resort. And you never know just what Dave is working on next. If you have questions, feel free to drop Dave an email at davesdisneyview at gmail.com. Original music you're hearing in this podcast is Oslo Doom by Gilberto Gil. Of course, this is a fan podcast and in no way affiliated with the Walt Disney Company.